Compared to other Canadian cities on the National Crime Severity Index, Vancouver's violent crime rate has improved over the last few years, but there's little doubt uh, many Vancouverites feel unsafe at times, uh, particularly among high-profile random attacks by strangers that we heard about and reported on prior to the last civic election in 2022. Some have blamed COVID, while others have said what we're seeing on our streets is inevitable because we've never truly addressed the crisis of untreated mental illness, addiction, and homelessness. Well, recently, Monocle magazine from London put out their yearly quality of life uh, issue. Uh, in it, they highlight some of the top cities when it comes to livability. Think transportation networks, education, galleries, museums, crime rate, uh, unique policies, or percentage of commuters who cycle to work. There are many, many metrics. The cities on the list were all European and Asian. Think Vienna, Copenhagen, uh, Munich, Singapore, Tokyo. What was missing, of course, or uh, North American cities. Why? Well, crime and public safety loom large. Uh, Gregory Scruggs addressed the lack of North American cities in the latest issue of uh, Monocle. Mr. Scruggs is a Seattle-based contributor for Monocle magazine. He is an award-winning journalist. He's also reported, uh, his reporting has appeared uh, in Bloomberg City Lab, Next City, Thompson Reuters, and the Washington Post. As I said, he lives in Seattle and he reports for Monocle magazine, and he joins us now. Gregory, thank you for speaking to us today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Uh, it was an interesting read as I was going through there, you know, and I noticed as well, I said, where are the North American cities? Uh, Vancouver uh, has been in there, I think Toronto as well, and other American cities. And no city is ever perfect. Uh, um, and I wanted to talk with, with you because we're so interconnected uh, in Seattle and Vancouver, we, an area we often refer to as Cascadia. Can you talk a little bit about what your city, Seattle, is going through in the COVID and even post-COVID uh, in time when it comes to public safety? I think the, the situation here is similar, uh, if sadly slightly more severe than Vancouver. And, and where the, despite our similarities, I think where the, the border comes into play is the availability of guns in the United States, uh, quite more readily available than in Canada. And, and certainly our rates of Gun crime uh, have been alarmingly high over the last couple of years, seem to be leveling off, but nevertheless at, at higher rates, I think, than anybody would like, especially after a historic you know, two or so decade run of, of low crime rates uh, throughout the United States. The sudden return to an era approximating the early 90s has been a real shock to the system. Mm-hmm. Now, many have said, uh, whether it's Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver, cities on the West Coast, they're progressive cities, but yet the problems are highlighted here, and it's time to think differently, that uh, perhaps some of the things we as progressive cities have done may be part of the challenge. Uh, you, in your writing, you know, uh, offered some solutions as well, that it isn't just about compassion, but there is a need for some sort of enforcement some sort of um, line uh, driven in the sand that says, look, there are certain things we won't tolerate. Am I describing that uh, uh, rightly? Absolutely. And my my point in this essay was was the following, that so much of the political discourse in cities, especially on the West Coast of North America, that are struggling with unsheltered homelessness, with public drug use, they center the – the the person afflicted, the person who's sleeping rough or smoking fentanyl, uh, and don't center the, as it were, normal citizen. You know, I write in the essay about being a father who is struggling with a decision to take his daughter to a specific 
preschool because I'll be passing through an area somewhat similar to the downtown east side in Vancouver, but here in Seattle in our little Saigon neighborhood. And I'm just not sure that I want to do that every day on a bike, uh, which, you know, the city invested all this money in bike lanes and sort of good urbanism. And yet this particular corner that I'll be passing by as the most direct route is the epicenter of open air stolen goods, fenced goods market, uh, you know, public fentanyl sales, again, very similar to the Hastings situation in the downtown east side in Vancouver. And I don't necessarily know what the correct way to treat fentanyl addiction is. I mean, there's there's a lot of Chad debates about the harm reduction approach versus mandatory treatment, that sort of thing. And I'm here to say that I want to put those debates aside and just say that if the situation on our streets is making it so that uh, you know, a, a, a family raising, uh, you know, parents raising a family are struggling with whether to, to take our daughter to a particular preschool. Maybe our concerns should be the priority more so than those of the people engaging in these antisocial behaviors in the first place. Do you think, um, you know, progressive voters are increasingly uh, have your perspective in mind here? I mean, they, they're liberals, they, they are compassionate, but there's a line in the sand here that says, look, wait a minute here, let's worry about uh, your daughter and what she sees and you and your safety as you take her to uh, her preschool rather than worrying about or at least saying, uh, let's worry about the folks that are actually have this open air, you know, stolen goods market or using fentanyl, whatever it may be. Yes, those people need treatment. Let's focus on that. But let's make sure we, we, we view it through the lens of you as a dad with your daughter trying to get to preschool. I think the political winds have certainly shifted in North American cities uh, and especially on the West Coast. Elections in the last couple years uh, for Vancouver mayor, for Seattle mayor, uh, soon to be San Francisco mayor, are all trended in that direction. Los Angeles, not so much, but the particular candidate there was, I think, more of an issue than, than broader political trends. I mean, LA is facing these issues mm-hmm. as more severe or more so than, than the rest of us. Uh, and I, I anticipate uh, a kind of a two steps forward, one step back. I mean, I, our own mayor, Bruce Harrell, recently in a press conference, although he's waffled on tougher enforcement of public drug use because as a, an African-American, he is very leery of retreading the so-called war on drugs that, uh, you know, and particularly prosecuting things like marijuana back in the day, saw many of his peers growing up uh, in, entangled in the criminal justice system. So he's been publicly conflicted about tougher enforcement in the, you know, today's drug of choice being fentanyl. But in a recent press conference, he specifically said, you know, if there's a, I think he's said mother, but you know, let's say a parent with a stroller at a bus stop, uncomfortable or unwilling to ride the bus because that shelter, that bus shelter has been essentially commandeered by public drug users. Well, maybe we need to make sure that that parent's uh, you know, priorities are met first. And, and that was music to my ears. That was just in the last month or so, actually, after I had already written and submitted the uh, essay to the magazine. So I am cautiously hopeful that uh, slowly but surely we will trend in the right direction, although I do think our progressive attitudes as an electorate in West Coast cities make us much more cautious uh, about taking assertive action because of these kinds of hang-ups around the, the history and legacy of police enforcement of drug crimes. Mm-hmm. You raise the issue of harm reduction and decriminalization. We're having the same challenges here where we have decriminalized um, the use of a small amount of hard drugs, up to two and a half grams. But what it's led to uh, in, in many of our cities, never mind just Vancouver here, but our suburbs and in the interior in the north on Vancouver Island, 
our uh, city council saying, wait a minute here, we take our kids to the park and there's open use of drugs now. And then we've legalized that. There's something fundamentally wrong. Uh, so we're going to have to go back to the drawing board. Many of them are bringing in lo- um, uh, local bylaws saying you cannot use drugs uh, in city parks. And I think there's a push to, to, to make that province-wide because it's done by city by city. Are you seeing similar issues here that there still is that broader conversation, treatment versus harm reduction or decriminalization that is ongoing? Yes, you can. You should certainly look to your Cascadian neighbors to the south for an interesting case study. Uh, Oregon voted, uh, I believe this was a state referendum, to, to decriminalize hard drugs and set up a treatment option. Uh, and the data after a year plus of that showed that, so, you know, if you were caught smoking fentanyl in public, let's say, you'd get the equivalent of a traffic ticket with a number that you're supposed to call to, to provide access to some kind of drug treatment. And, you know, you'll have your essentially penalty-free civil infraction dismissed if you do that. And in the first year or so of this program, the, the rate of people who, you know, in the, in the throes of drug addiction chose to call this number and request treatment were, were comically small. I mean, there, it, the amount of money it cost to set up this, you know, 24-hour hotline there were folks basically just sitting in a dispatch waiting for phone calls that never came. Um, so Washington, in seeing this, uh, our legislature recently voted to make uh, drug possession. And really, this is more about public drug use more so than, than possession. I mean, if, you're, if you have something in your pocket and you're using it in the privacy of your own home and you can keep your, your act together, as it were, I don't think the police are coming after you. It's the, the public drug use that's creating the situations in parks and public spaces like you described that's the real problem here. Our state legislature decided to make that a gross misdemeanor, um, which would thus empower uh, uh, police officers to to finally kind of address the issue a bit head on and, and hopefully, you know, put folks when someone's arrested or, or, or given a citation or what have you to direct them to treatment in a more carrot and stick type of way than Oregon, which was kind of purely a carrot based approach. However, we saw here in Seattle, our local city council mm-hmm decline to adopt that state, you know, which would be similar to provincial, that state uh, uh, gross misdemeanor at the local level. So now our Seattle Police Department is kind of caught between uh, this this conflicting messages that the state government is saying, yes, public drug use is in fact a crime that that should be treated as such, uh, while our city government is saying, "Mm, not so fast. your essay, uh, I find it very refreshing, first of all, and that's why I wanted to, wanted to chat with you about this today. What what do you think Europe is doing differently than us that perhaps they aren't dealing with some of those issues? Some would argue, look, London has some of these challenges. No city in Europe is ever perfect because there are challenges there as well. Is this uniquely um, a North America-wide issue, do you think, or do you think Europe Europe is either handling this better and some have talked about the portuguese model or do you think it's it's just it's 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 other reasons why and i, I can't point to anything specific but what are oh, they, what's, what's europe doing that we perhaps aren't doing well I, I would note that london like vancouver did not make monocle's quality of life ranking this yeah. year um for, but more so for cost of living reasons in, in london um, my uh limited you know read a couple books type knowledge of this is that i mean first of all the stronger social safety net uh in european countries vis-a-vis the u.s although i mean certainly compared to the u.s canada has a much stronger social safety net mm-hmm. is a factor here uh that you know the the the, the the economic hardships or what have you that might cause somebody to fall into drug addiction or homelessness in the first place or perhaps less common there. Uh, 
certainly my, my understanding of the Portuguese model, and I think similarly the Dutch and the Swiss, is, uh, you know, I've used the phrase carrot and stick. It's very much that approach that if you go into treatment and, you know, stay off of, stay sober, stay clean, et cetera, then there is a kind of reward progression that, that ultimately nets you, say, a subsidized apartment, uh, you know, housing, what have you. Um, whereas I think the, the cart has gone a bit before the horse, at least in, in some of the more progressive North American uh, models where, you know, housing first is the mantra that we hear over and over in Seattle uh, with regards to how we, how we can address unsheltered homelessness and, and drug addiction. And the idea that doesn't matter how severe somebody's problems are, could be mental health, drugs, what have you, put them in housing before anything else, and that will kind of everything follows from there if you know, they're also offered with so-called wraparound services. So maybe that's a, you know, a, a mental health treat, a treatment or, or drug addiction treatment in that housing setting. But Europe seems to treat it not, not so fast. You don't, you know, you might get to go to shelter first, but you don't necessarily get a subsidized flat right away uh, that you kind of have to follow a, a ladder of, of uh, steps in the right direction before you're given those rewards. And I, that's, from what I understand, um, and I can, I can recommend a particular book to your readers where I, I learn more about this model, um, Michael Schellenberger, uh, the author of San Francisco, How Progressives Ruin Cities. Uh, the title is inflammatory. I, I give you that and was a bit of a turnoff to me. But I found the content, you know, Michael, the author, Schellen, Michael Schellenberger, spent quite a bit of time in Europe reporting on and uh, researching some of these methods uh, and comparing them to how things are done, at least uh, in the U.S., um, that's where I, I picked up, gleaned some knowledge of, of those systems and might suggest that those are, are alternatives that are working a little better than what we've been doing in North America. Gregory, uh, thank you so much for your time. And for our listeners, I highly recommend uh, his essay in, in this um, month's uh, Monocle magazine. It's a good read and a good reality check for all of us here because uh, North American cities did not make that list compared to uh, many in Europe and a few in Asia as well. Mr. Scruggs, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure.